Muddy, BBC Radio 4 News. Now, attention all shipping, especially in sea area Fastnet. The Met Office issued the following gale warning to shipping at 2133 GMT today, Tuesday the 3rd of July. Fastnet, westerly, gale force 8, expected soon. And that's the end of the gale warning. Well, now on BBC Radio 4, the writer John Ronson captures the unfolding stories of people getting lost at this year's Glastonbury Festival. I think everyone at Glastonbury has a meltdown at some point. The littlest thing can spark it off, like when you just want to go to bed, but someone who's pretending to be a pirate stands in your way. <laughs> on day three, I bump into the writer, Catelyn Moran, and I tell her what happened. People come up to you and they say, you know, magical things. And if you don't respond magically, they give you a look. And someone came up to me yesterday and said, um, there are pirates here. And I just ignored him. And he sort of said, what? What's your problem? But surely the natural response to there are pirates here is just to go, war. I mean, you just, you chat that back. That's, you know, you kind of, you get down with your people. If, if people I, are doing pirate chat to you, you just really? go, war, yeah. Or, I, mean, I found it faintly annoying. I've got to tell you, I found it faintly annoying. Did you find it annoying in the same way that if you're in an office and it's Comic Relief Day and someone comes on with a pair of Comic Relief dealy boppers on their head and you're like, I don't want to be part of your institutionalised wackiness. I understand that this is an area that's been set aside for wackiness. I opt out. Yes, yes. So what kind of Glastonbury do you want then? I, you know, I, I, I want the Glastonbury I want is the same as, as, as the world I want, which is kind of nebbishy, <laughs> nebbishy people walking around feeling a bit miserable. Well, the weather is helping you with that, but I, I think I think the question you want is Ronson on main stage, just telling stories of your life to a captivated crowd of people all stroking their chins. Like, I don't understand why you're here, John. What, what, what elements of what elements of what's been publicised about Glastonbury are you trying to tap into? But like, I mean, what you just want black clad Smiths fans reading? No, because they're not originals. funny. They're not funny. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I like people to be funny in their nebbishosity. So, you, but to, funny for you to laugh at them. No, laugh with them. It's kind of hard to laugh with people as you're walking around a festival. I can't quite understand how you would do that. How are you gonna? Will you catch their eye and you just both laugh at the absurdity of life? Or well, that's kind of what I was hoping for. But instead, <laughs> people catch my eye and they say there are pirates here. Catelyn <laughs> <laughs> was right. I could have said ooh to the pirate. What's wrong with going with the flow? I'm going to do it. I'm going to lose myself. But how and where? My theory about the topography of Glastonbury is that depending on what elements of the festival Michael Evis likes best, you get higher up the hill. And that's because A, that's nearer to his house where they farm, and B, because when it pisses it down with rain, if you're up the hill, you're not going to get drowned, whereas if you're at the bottom of the hill, you're in a swamp of mud. So high up the hill is the green futures fields and the trade unions tents and all the women, very stoned women walking around, serving you very tiny bowls of couscous and it takes them five days to bring it over to you. At the bottom of the hill is the press area, the backstage area and the dance tent. And I think that, that, and my theory is that's what Michael Evis hates. He's put us in the mud and the shit and then the fairy people are up on the hill. 
but it is very much like Lord of the Rings because the fairy people are up on the hill, the hippie people are up on the hill, and then you get the kind of the pixie people who are a bit more mischievous about the whole thing, and they're the ones who are running around on the and sort of like being a bit crazy, but they're essentially benign. Um, in the middle of the hill. Sorry. In the middle of the hill, in the middle earth area, and then sort of down towards the bottom, you start to get your orcs and your trolls and your goblins, and they're the kind of the scallies have turned up with big red faces and the traveller people who do look genuinely terrifying. I saw this one guy once. He was wearing a, a, a floor-length puffer jacket. I mean, for starters, you probably only get that in a shop called I Like to Take Crack. I don't know where you would buy that item. And Why? What do they do? You, do you keep the crack in the pockets? I think I don't know. I mean, I've never taken crack, but the one thing that crack seems to make you do is feel quite cold like you want to be wearing a gigantic puffy jacket quilty coat at all times and clearly he had a bad crack pipe maybe a cracked crack pipe and it, he just dropped his hot rocks all over his melty puffy jacket because the, the entire jacket just melted around him so it was this horrible combination of puffer jacket and melted sections how has this changed over the years this is a different crowd than in previous years Oh, completely. I mean, what they've done is they've got rid of the trolls and the orcs from the Middle Earth of Glastonbury, and they've left the fairies and the humans. And of course, as we know from Lord of the Rings, the humans are the rubbish ones, really, aren't they? And that, that's what's left at Glastonbury now, the humans. This year, they've got policemen with um, uh, CCTV cameras embedded in their fluorescent tabards who are going around filming people who are smoking marijuana, and you get two cautions, and then you get arrested. The police have set up several tents, and they're sitting inside them, so when tent thieves come to steal your iPod and your money and your spare trousers, uh, you, you unzip the tent, and there's five coppers inside going, surprise! It's the surprise bastard really? copper tent! Fake yeah. tents. Well, I'm glad that they're taking all these measures. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you did used to be genuinely scared, and it's whether you want adrenaline to be part of your Glastonbury experience or not. Catelyn says it's impossible to lose yourself at Glastonbury anymore, now that everyone's got mobile phones and there are policemen everywhere and all the interesting crazed trolls have gone, leaving boring ordinary people. I leave her disheartened and immediately bump into a crazed troll, the comedian Simon Munnery. He's up to his knees in mud and he has a panicked look on his face. Uh, a man walks down the street shouting expletives at the top of his voice. Is he mad or is he on the phone? And since, from a distance at least, you cannot tell, is it not safe to conclude that the two are more or less equivalent? That shouting on the phone is a form of madness. Certainly it makes no sense. If you shout on the phone, the signal breaks up, so they won't, the person on the other end won't even be able to hear exactly what it is you're saying. And also, naturally, the person on the other end of the phone will move the phone away from their ear so that the, any attempt to increase volume is lost. Shouting down a phone is picking a fight with someone you cannot have a fight with because they're not there. So I was thinking to myself, am I mad? People shouting on the phone would be mad. Am I mad? I was thinking to myself, am I mad? I was thinking to myself, am I mad? Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. I go further, I say, I think, therefore, there's two of us at least. And that's why relationships are problematic, because there's at least four of you. And are you thinking that you're mad? That, that's the train of thought I went down. That's where it ended. What, do I think I'm mad? What are you asking? Do I think I'm mad? Do I think... Do I think I'm mad? Is that the same I in both cases? Well, if I was to conclude yes, if I think I is mad, then it would devalue my thinking of it. So, if the answer was yes, it wouldn't mean anything. 
if the answer was no, it probably wouldn't mean anything either. And these thoughts that you've been having, uh, are they as a result of being here at Glastonbury? Glastonbury just changed my thoughts in every possible way. I, I see clearly now the need, the need for, for, for all the things, yeah. What things do you feel the need for? All of them, all the things. Don't fight anything. Don't, don't be a stick in the mud, learn how to surf, ride zeitgeist, don't talk back to your mother, that sort of thing. My mother used to say to me, eat your dinner up, there's people starving in Africa. It's taken me 30 years, but I have the correct response, which is, mother, yes, people are starving in Africa, and people are dying of obesity in the West, which fate is more likely mine. I haven't told you, but, you know, I will, as soon as I get a chance. You seem slightly, I don't know, you, you seem, I don't know, slightly frightened. Yes. Are you not frightened yourself? You're nodding. Yeah. Yeah. It's not very audio, but yeah, you're, you're nodding and making that sort of face like, like, yes, carry on. Are you, are you frightened yourself? I suppose I'm slightly frightened. Mm. Hello, this is Lily. Hello, hello. So we've been wandering around just seeing all these lost people here in the rain. And there's this man, Simon Munnery, who said that that he thinks he's going mad and he's hearing voices in his head. Aww. <laughs> I remembered that you sort of, you had a bit of a spiral in that hotel room in Seattle. Yeah. It felt like you got lost in that hotel <laughs> <Yeah>. room. <laughs> That'd be fair to say, yeah, definitely. This is Lily Allen. A few weeks ago, she posted a message on her blog that read, Fat, ugly and shitter than Winehouse, that is all I am. I'm on my own in America again. I used to pride myself on being strong-minded and not being some stupid girl obsessed with the way I look. I write to you in a sea of tears from my hotel bed in Seattle. I have spent the past hour researching gastric bypass surgery. It was a bit of a weird one. I think it's just, you know, when you're away on tour and away from everyone you know, and you've only got you and your mind to kind of wind each other up in just another hotel room, and it just starts to grate on you, I think, and you start to lose the plot a little bit. So how did it start? Well, you walked into the room, and yeah. were you fine as you walked in? No. No, I'd been pretty upset for like a couple of days before that, I think. How did that start? Just working too hard, I think, you know, just travelling across the... Atlantic Ocean like five times in a week and just you know mm. different time zones your your mind just doesn't really deal with it very well so you walked into the hotel room and then what did you turn on the computer or no I turned on the television and on the television in America you know every advert is either for you know like some kind of medical pill or you know like workout machines or workout videos so you start to think how everyone's either really depressed or really fat. <laughs> I need to sort it out. And I think, you know, once you see kind of like too many of those adverts of like really skinny people just kind of running up and down telling you how brilliant their lives are and you're sitting in this hotel room and all you've got to eat is hamburger and chips, you just start to feel a bit rubbish. <laughs> and then I turned on my computer, kind of switched off the telly, turned on my computer and obviously just wrote down what I was feeling. And where did the Amy Winehouse business come in? I'd been looking on this other website 
and it, this the guy on it had written, you know, like Lily versus Amy or something, which is just not even an issue to me. But that, I think reading all the comments of the people that had been on that particular website, they were all kind of like, you know, we love Amy, we hate Lily, and I just thought, <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> I think everybody who writes about like slagging off other people on the internet yeah. don't realise that the person that they're slagging off always eventually finds it. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if they knew that the object of their sort of sitting in a room completely isolated from society, just writing any old horrible stuff, if they knew that the object of that person was actually reading, reading it. it, would they be, would they do it differently? Um, no, they'd probably do it more horribly, I think. I think that that's their aim of the game is to hurt people, isn't it? Or just or just to kind of make people feel rubbish. Yeah. Like all those gossip websites and stuff, it's not you know, it's never you never kind of read anything really nice about someone, do you? So what did you do after that, after you wrote that blog? Um I went to sleep. And then I woke up sort of, you know, twelve hours later with my manager calling me going, What have you done? Oh, I press person going, what have you done? It was all pretty over the top. And there was how many comments? I don't know, like thousands and thousands. So it was tiredness and overwork that, that yeah. created this. Was it not also sort of suddenly going from somebody who'd come to a place like this as a punter and just, you know, walking around and enjoying the bands to being somebody who comes to this as a star and all the responsibilities and pressures that go with that? Well, I guess, like, you know, to get through all of the, you know, mud and stuff, it's easier to get really drunk, isn't it, to deal with all of that stuff. And because I've got to be on stage at four o'clock, I'm kind of not allowed to do that. <laughs> so I kind of end up just sitting in my Winnebago, like, avoiding the rain. If I was really drunk, though, I could go out there and face the rain and the mud. <laughs> By the way, all the skinny people on the adverts on American television are advertising really unhealthy things, yeah. like uh, credit cards. Yeah loans, the more skinny and good-looking and the more active they are, yeah. the more dangerous the uh, thing that they're selling. Yes, I'd say that's correct. Mm. But also, but you were sort of victim of of a really kind of weird new thing of being able to look yourself up on Google. Yes, which is a huge danger. My mum and my boyfriend have banned me from doing it now. <laughs> Not allowed. It can, be, it can become <clears throat> compulsive. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's like it comes like checking your email. If you're someone like me, where you know there's something new on there every five minutes, so you're just like, just want to make sure everyone's being nice, just keeping tabs on the whole world. Um, but it's pointless because it just kind of starts winding you up after a while. <laughs> there you go. Don't Google yourself. <laughs> so you lost yourself on Google. But have you found? Are you all right now? Have you have you found yourself again? Um, I'm all right. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm really, really tired. Just kind of got to get through this festival season and then go home, <laughs> relax for a few months. <laughs> and then but what? Make a new album. Get lost in the music. <laughs> the comedian Danny Robbins has been looking lost and miserable since he got here. His tent is right next to my caravan. 
I'm pumping up my inflatable mattress and I've actually worked out that my tent is so small that if I inflate the inflatable mattress to its maximum point there will be about sort of six inches between me lying down and the roof of my tent. Um, I'm not a happy camper at the moment. This is my first time in Glastonbury. I am a Glastonbury virgin and there's a nice kind of camaraderie to it that you know people will come past and go oh you're pumping up your inflatable mattress I've just done that uh, that's not the way to do it that sort of thing but I really want to get this over and done with at this stage of it, it seems rubbish the stage you've got to put your tent up and inflate your mattress and it takes ages and I just want to get out there and start experiencing Glastonbury and I'm stuck here inflating my mattress and it's really hurting my Nina <laughs> What? My inflatable mattress is bigger than my tent. <laughs> it's kind of spilling out onto the grass. Can you not inflate it to half size? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just kind of aimed for the best, but um, it's a monster. Okay. You, you've, um, you've got a caravan. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I knew this would happen. I knew that people would want to get into my caravan. <laughs> We're at the left field stage now, and a man called C6 Steve is on stage. And Steve is a man who actually deliberately got himself lost. He spent about 20 years living as a hobo, riding around on trains, and eventually ending up in Norway. And um, I wanted to meet him because my brother said to me, um, if you come to Glastonbury, you must find C6 Steve. And my brother had actually met him after a gig recently in London and shaken Steve's hand, and he felt something special happen. He felt that Steve had a certain power to him. And I, I want to come and see what, what that power was and also why Steve felt he needed to get lost. You know, when you ain't got nowhere to go, then I guess you always lost. You know, when you're a kid, you don't want to get kicked out of your home. You know, it just was like unbearable, you know, so... If I didn't leave my home, I would have shot my stepfather, so it's probably a good idea I left. You know, it's like a different world. Later on, I heard about all people made it all romantic, you know, like people write about it and stuff like that. But, you know, it was just another world to live on that had been going since the Depression, you know. So we used to just follow the farm work around and things like that, and, or picking work, kind of migrant work. And so you followed the seasons. We left the same, got lost. The same, got locked up the same, went hungry the same. Have mercy. Now I look back and I understand there was a freedom in that. You got nothing, you got nothing to lose, you ain't going nowhere, you ain't going back nowhere, you ain't going forward. In one way you perpetually, perpetually lost, but you don't care. Did you ever feel a sense of, of kind of searching for something there, that, that a sort of deeper sense of being lost and needing to find something? Yeah, I think I, <laughs> I think I'm still doing that. You know, like, well, I've been settled down now. I've been married to this gal for 25 years, right? We lived in 56 houses. Do you find you just can't stop moving? Yeah, I think in the moving, for me anyway, I find life. It's in the blood. We rode. Them trains in the sunshine, in the rain, and we never had no plan. We could not change. I think it's quite difficult when I'm traveling to be by myself. I want to be with groups of people. When you get with groups of people, then you're more likely to get in trouble. 
you attract attention more. I learned how to stay way below the radar. <laughs> Even here, like I'm at Glastonbury with all these people, and I like it, but I move through it alone. And you by yourself, you got to rely on what you can come up with. But where are you now, my boy? Where are you now, my son? Say it again. You know, I think that's how people get like Alzheimer's partly, not how they get it, but like that's the thing that really bothers people when they start getting Alzheimer's. It's all their life they've had destinations and things they got to do. Maybe it's okay sometimes to like have a thing, have a weekend or a week or something where there's no destination. And then how can you be lost if you don't got that? Maybe that's what Glastonbury could be then. Maybe I should approach Glastonbury as a microcosm of life and just forget about destinations, forget about what bands I'm going to see or what I'm going to do, where I'm going to go, and just give myself over to it and wander around. Lost, but happily lost. Yeah, you know, why not? Steve, it's been good to meet you, and as my brother said, you are a good man. All right, that's all good. Can I shake your hand? Yes. now my We are genuinely lost now. We're trying to find the Guardian Soulmates tent, and according to the map, it's in a place that we can't actually physically get to at the moment. We're just stuck in the middle of tents now. There's tents everywhere, and I'm tripping over guide ropes, and I can't get through to where I'm meant to be. The map doesn't work. It's hopeless. Who wants to get set up for the rest of the weekend? Just me. Guy, what's going on in your tent? Well, this year we're doing speed dating activity. I, I was just filling in my questionnaire form and you had to describe yourself in three words. And I put uh, wet, hot and muddy. And I, I realised that could be misconstrued in dating. It looked like I'm trying to be sort of deliberately sexually provocative by putting that. Yeah, no. Uh, nice to meet you. We're running out of time. We've got ten seconds. Where do you think you'll find love at Glastonbury? Um, in the funk tent. Did you see that? It's amazing. And you think your perfect man will be listening to funk? Yes. Oh, that's it. Time's up. Okay, good. Guy's going through all the sheets now to see how many ticks I got for yes uh, or no. So, how am I doing, Guy? Four yeses and one no. Who put, who put no? Uh, we can't give it I was very nice to her, honestly. Wow, yes. can I get a high five? Yeah, absolutely. That's made me feel a lot better about my Glastonbury experience. I'm now looking at a sort of like, uh, you know, kind of a certain percentage feeling very good about myself, but a small percentage quite troubled by why I couldn't be someone's friend. The Times music critic Peter Perfides has been coming to Glastonbury his whole adult life. This search for an epiphanic moment at Glastonbury it's been keeping me coming back here for uh, 15 years now and sometimes I have to stop and wonder just how nice a time I'm having but you come to Glastonbury to get lost to kind of lose all sense of time and to have a sense of self suspended and that is the moment, that's the kind of mythical moment that people look for at Glastonbury and you see people having it all the time especially if you go up to the greenfield where there are hundreds of people playing on drums <laughs> and singing randomly to themselves and to each other as the uh, sun comes up. 
and I'm quite jealous of those people. Maybe the moment will never come. Maybe it's the search for that moment. I've had certain options presented to me, but then there's always that thing. I've got a family. I don't want to lose that. And it'd be just my luck if I was the only person in the world who had ever just taken some kind of stimulant for the first time at Glastonbury and instantly turned into Sid Barrett. And I wouldn't even have the unconscious privilege or the comfort of knowing that I made two rather fantastic solo albums after Pink Floyd split up. People keep telling me that the place to really lose yourself is up at the stone circle where everyone's inhaling laughing gas. It sounds like fun. I imagine everyone laughing up there, so I take the walk. But instead I find a girl slumped against a hedge, crying. I think everyone bursts into tears, or nearly does, at some point during the festival. What's wrong? I've run out of tobacco, <laughs> and I can't shower, and it's really muddy, and I've been on site for since last Sunday, and I'm fighting with my boyfriend, and my mates just stood me up, and I don't get to see my mum because she's really busy, and everything, really. <laughs> I was late for work this morning, and then I've just been working really hard, so <laughs> today is not good. I want to go home. Well, it's nearly over. The nightmare's nearly over. <laughs> Standing behind the crying girl are the green police who are issuing warnings to people peeing in the hedges and dropping litter. An arrest card, because you did see us come in. You should know who we are. His first card, his first warning, second warning you'll be out of the festival. Suddenly the green police spot a festival goer quietly peeing in a hedge. To his enormous surprise, all ten of them run over to him. I think, sir, you're going to be arrested. I would like to give you this arrest card. If we catch you again, serious consequences. You can actually get thrown out the site. The one year 6,000 fish got killed, is that right? Yeah, eight years ago. Um, there were so many people like you know urinating in the hedges and everything and it all went straight through the water table and downstream during the festival and after the festival 6,000 fish were killed yeah. in the river. And it's not only the urine, it's all the toxins in the urine, like drugs. all the people on drugs, all the people with alcohol in, in the urine, it just like messes everything up. And isn't it, didn't the festival nearly get closed down because of that? Yeah, yeah. and they got fined £10,000 because of it. And that's why you now exist? Yeah, that's yeah. why we exist now. Very important job. As soon as the green police move down into another field, the people selling the laughing gas balloons appear as if from nowhere. So all that hissing sound is the sound of matches oxide being taken. Can I have a receipt? I'm just joking. And I'm not going to die. In and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. I asked the laughing gas seller if there's been any study into the long-term health implications, and he says if I'm trying to bring down the mood, I should just go. 
I say I'm not trying to bring down the mood. Ah! Ah! Oh my god, I'm passing out. Ah. Ah. Don't like that at all. When I get home, I look up laughing gas inhalation on Wikipedia. It says, while not a dangerous substance per se, recreational users typically do not mix it with air and thus risk injury or death from lack of oxygen. The user may be rendered unconscious and after an extended period of time without oxygen, dead. I did lose myself for about six seconds, but I've had a headache ever since. John Ronson on Glastonbury was written and presented by John Ronson. It was produced by Laura Parfitt and Simon Jacobs and was a unique production for BBC Radio 4. In his first statement to the Commons since becoming Prime Minister, Gordon Brown has outlined a constitutional shift which would put important decisions in the hands of Parliament. And there's more about that in today in Parliament in a moment. If you go on a bypass and head north towards a patch of land that has died from ennui, take a sharp left and carry on for 27 miles, you'll enter a huge galactic car park surrounded by very young trees and litter. This is the Edge Falls Retail Park. Well, I'm Mick, head of security, and you look like you want to go in the noddy car. Yeah! Uh, pop yourself in there. Come on. Can Gretel come in too? Who's uh, Gretel? Oh, uh, her imaginary friend. <laughs> oh, I don't think there's room in there for Gretel. Please, please, let Gretel out. Please, please. No, all right, all right. Just this once. Uh, sorry. Safety regulations state one at a time. We don't want any accidents. She's imaginary. There's nothing I can do about it. New comedy for BBC Radio 4 starring Mark Benton and Sarah Lancashire. Edge Falls begins next Tuesday night at 11 o'clock. We're now to Westminster where Gordon Brown makes his first statement as Prime Minister. Today in Parliament. Order! Order! Good evening, this is Alicia McCarthy at Westminster. Tonight, Gordon Brown proposes more power for Parliament and a constitutional shake-up to restore the public's faith in politics. The changes we propose today and the national debate we now begin are founded upon the conviction that the best answer to disengagement from our democracy is to strengthen our democracy. But on Europe, the Tories say the new Prime Minister is refusing to give the people a say. If no referendum is held on this revived EU constitution, he will never be able to use the words honour and trust with any credibility again. Yeah. And the BBC 